When up is down, what does that mean? I guess I should have said, when down is up. And we'll figure out in a minute which one I should have said. But you know, I want to talk about right now how to get, how to get God to take you up. And a lot of times people, especially born-again Christians, it seems like they're afraid of humility. They're afraid of it. So go with me to James chapter 4, and I want to talk about humility. So let me ask you a question before we get into this. What does the word humble mean? Do you know? Rosa, what's it mean? I'll put her on the, I'll put her on the spot. She don't know. Melanie, what's it mean? It means to be humble. Means to be humble. Oh, that's, that's pretty good for an Apopka girl. The word humble means to go low. It means to go low. And um, so we're going to read this, and all of us in this room tonight are going to walk out and go, I know how to get up. I know how to, God, I know how to get God to take me up. James 4, verse 5. Or do you think the Spirit says in vain that the Spirit dwells in you your, the spirit who dwells in you yearns jealously. Did you know that he is a jealous Holy Ghost? He is very jealous of your time and what you do and say. But he gives more grace, which means it's possible to get more of it. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, and he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, he'll flee from you, and draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. He's talking to Christians. Purify your hearts, you double-minded people with two points of reference. Lament and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he'll lift you up. Now, let's stop right there. We could go on. Um, today, in the world we're living in, we're dealing with a lot of selfishness and pride. You know we are. Everywhere that we go, people are ugly, they're mean, and, and, I, and I'm thinking that you've got to be asking, how do I handle people who are just ugly? Only by pride comes contention. When there is contention... There's pride. So how do we handle that? Well, you're not going to fix the world, but you can fix you. Amen. The biggest concern that you have right now is can other people harm me and take me down? And the answer to that is no. The Bible says in Romans 8, if God is for me, who could be against me? And you can read the rest of that. If, if God can take you up when, other, when, when you can't get yourself up, but I want to teach you tonight not to go the route that the world is going. And, and it's kind of an odd thing to talk about this uh, because many people's are flesh, my flesh included. And um, there's an adage in, in preachers. They say, this is something that I heard as a preacher, don't ever preach on something until you have it conquered. Well, I'm going to tell you I don't have this conquered. And I'm going to preach on it anyway. Amen. But I'm going to say like Andrew Walmack, I'm doing better than I used to. Amen. I'm not where I was. Amen. And I've come a long ways and I've learned stuff. 
And I'm not real sure that between me and the, here and the rapture, I'm going to have it conquered either. But I'm planning on being better next week or next month than I am now. Okay. So there are things in the Bible that I've learned, some of them the hard way. Because I have always, I've always been a little bit bullheaded and strong-willed myself. And I know a few of you relate to that. And I'm not mentioning any names in here tonight. Okay, go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. And I want to start with a story or a scripture that Jesus gave us that when I first read it, and, and for years, I did not like this, what he said. I, I, would, I, I mean, I would be in the middle of a sermon. I'd read it and look at you and tell you, I don't like this sermon. I don't like this scripture. Do y'all have scriptures in the Bible you don't like? I just don't like this scripture. We're going to read one of them right now. Matthew 5, 38. You have heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you not to resist an evil person. And whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. And I always said, I only have two. And after that, I'm going to knock you out. And if anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go a mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks, and from him who wants to borrow, do not turn away. Now that's got to be the most unmasculine scripture in the Bible. Because to me, I'm reading it like God is asking me to be a doormat. And I am not in any mood to be run over by anybody. Are y'all out there? So I'm going to tell you a story starting off, and I think you'll enjoy this. When I, before I began to pastor, I worked construction, and I told you I worked on an all-black crew. Now, what I, the reason I tell you that is because white people and black people need to make friends. See, you refer to people as being white because you don't know them. And you refer to people as being black because you don't know them. But the moment that you know them, they're not black, they have a name. And God, me being a white boy raised in a white neighborhood in a right society, thought it might be time that I learned a new culture. So he put me on an all-black crew. And oh, is it tough for a while. Because I was... I was, a, I was a mouse in, in, a, in a cat, in a house full of cats. And they just played with me all day. You know, just picked on me, played with me, messed with me. Never harmed me. You know, they'd throw mud on my boots instead of my board and just, I'd have to kick it off. So one day, and this is the kind of stuff that went on. There was a guy there named Charlie. Um, Charlie's a black man. And it was cold that day and windy when I got there in the morning, and I had on a, a light jacket. It was an older jacket, but it was still a good jacket. And come about, you know, 10, 11 o'clock, I took it off and hung it on the scaffold. Well, Charlie puts my coat on. And I turned to him and I said, Charlie, take my coat off. And he said, I found it. I said, Charlie, you didn't find it. It's my coat. Take it off. And he goes, no, come get it. And, I'm, and, you know, I'm sitting there going, 
You know, I, and I don't want to lose my job. I got a family. But I, I'm also a man, and I'm not going to be pushed around and bullied. I got in a couple of fights at work, only about two. And um, so, uh, you know, so I just went back to work, and I turned around and said, Charlie, take my coat off. And he goes, I found this coat, and I ain't taking it off. And this went on for about 30 minutes. And every time that I would say that, I would bow my head, and I would say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Because it's obvious that he's making me look like a sissy, right? Men, help me. Come on. I don't, I, I, women are going to look at me and go, just, no. I had a principal one time in the school. I'm going to change stories here for a second. A boy was messing with Joshua in a, in a bad way. And Josh knocked him out. Just not dead. dead. So I got called into the principal's office. I got called in. And the principal said, we don't allow fighting. I said, are you out there when the, when the kids are messing with him? Are you going to put a stop to this? We don't allow fighting. I said, sweetheart, he has my permission to knock him out. And then when he gets home, I'm going to bake him a cake. <laughs> just, just can't stand a female telling me that my son cannot stop a punk from fondling him. Y'all listening to me? And I just told her, I said, you knock him out. And if he doesn't, then I'm going to spank him. She said, we don't approve of fighting. I said, I do. I don't approve of what's going on in your school. Anyway, back to my story. Now, you know my, my, my temperament. So Charlie's got my coat on. And I said, Lord, what do I do? He said, what did I tell you to do in Matthew? I said, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> I ain't turning the other cheek. I just don't like this scripture. I just think that he is wrong. So this went on for about another 30 minutes, and finally the Lord said, give him the coat. And then he gave me some wisdom. And I turned and I said, Charlie, what's your waist size? He said, 38. I said, what, what, what is your shirt size? He said, extra large. I said, I got some more clothes at home I'm going to bring you. I said, I'm going to give you the coat. I said, I'm not only going to give you that coat. I got a whole bunch of stuff at home I'll bring you. Well, he, he got mad took my coat off and threw it on the ground and said, I don't want your charity, honky. And I, I got my coat back <laughs> without one of us losing our teeth. And then after that, it began, and I'm gonna, what I'm going to say right now, and I want you to listen to me. What is God asking you to do? He's not asking you to be a doormat. You got to learn this right now. When you read the scripture, God has never asked you to become a doormat for anybody, husband or wife or family member or, or the government. He's asking you to be bigger than the thug. Is God, does God meet your needs? Then a, what is a jacket that I got at the thrift store anyway? 
other than my ego. So I, I went home that day and I, I went, you know what you said worked. And I'm, like, I'm thinking, sure it works. It's the Bible, you know. But yet we have a hard time learning that the way up is down. Humble yourself, not under people, but under the mighty hand of God, and he will take you up. You don't have to, to lift yourself, promote yourself, or scratch and claw your way to victory. That's powerful, guys. What I just told you is very, very, very important because all of us have people in our life right now that are not nice, don't we? And you're going, how do I handle this person? You know, I have the great joy of working with pastors in this city, and I'm going to tell you, it has not been easy for me to do that. Because when a hundred preachers are in a room, there's 400 opinions. Y'all didn't get that. Some of them are so double-minded, they don't know what they believe. And just learning to find a place to get along, and they all have an opinion, and they all want to give it to you. And, and, and for me not to give it to them, means that I'm going to have to just go, it isn't that wonderful. <laughs> Hallelujah. And just walk away sometimes. And, and, and knowing that I know that I know that God called me, God anointed me, God loves me, and that has to be enough at times. You can't, you don't, you don't, what you think means nothing to me, have a good day. Now, that's true with more people than you may think. I'm doing pretty good, and y'all are looking at me like, hmm. So I want to read something that I got from Keith Moore, and I wrote it down in a book when I, when I heard him preach it, because it, it, it helped me. All of my Christian life, I have preached in him realities, who you are in Christ we're the righteousness of God. We're blessed coming in. Who, who Jesus made us to be. But Keith Moore did a sermon one time called In You Realities. And it balances the whole in him realities back out. Because God, you know, we think that God hates unrighteousness. He does. But there's something he hates more than unrighteousness. And that is self-righteousness. I know y'all are looking at me like, I, th I think he's on to something right now. God hates self-righteousness. So, so John 15, 1, turn over there. We're going to go through these four. I hope I can, turn, uh, Eli, turn me down just a tad, not, not much, just an itty-bitty bit, because I can hear myself bouncing off the wall. John 15, there's four in you realities, I want you to learn them tonight. At least hear them and, and try your best if you didn't bring a pencil and paper. John 15, 1. I am the vine, my father's the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, 
that he may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I spoke to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. Now, this is the first of, a, of a in you realities. You, yeah, you heard me tell the story one time, and, and I'm going to say it again. Anytime you're riding down a country road and you see a turtle on a fence post, the one thing you know is someone put it there because he didn't get there by himself. Now, one of the things that I think all of us need to remember is where we are today, you didn't put you here. With, now, let's read it again because I want you to see this. Because, because in order for you to walk humbly before God, you've got to conquer the big me. People actually think that when they got saved, they were some good, and you were not. He saved you when you were nothing. And I mean nothing. Everything in you before Jesus met you, 100% was hell bound. That's how bad you were. So you got to get over your enamored opinion of yourself and get into an enamored opinion of God. See, we say I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Not I'm the righteousness of God. All right. So he makes a statement. I want to read this. He says, without me, you can do nothing. The first in you reality is that without Jesus, you can do nothing. Now, go. Um, now I got this written down, and I want to say this. Submission is not a weakness. It's strength. Submitting to God is not a weakness. It's a strength. Okay, it's real, y'all excited, I can tell you right now, this is an exciting church to be in, I tell you, hallelujah, praise the Lord. I'm going to apply to the Baptist church downtown for the job of pastor. Thanks, I can get somebody down there to get excited somewhere in the building. Galatians 6, 3, the next one, for if anyone thinks himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. So the first one is you can do nothing. And the second one was without Jesus, you are nothing. Now that's humbling. That's very humbling. All right, let's look at another one. Second, 1 Corinthians 8. Now some of you go, I've never heard a sermon on this before in my entire life. Well, that's why God brought you in here tonight. Because he wants you to hear this tonight. 1 Corinthians 8, 2. If anyone thinks he knows anything... He knows nothing. <laughs> That's pretty humbling, right? You can do nothing, you are nothing, and you just flat don't know nothing. <laughs> it's the truth. Did you know that if he hadn't drawn you, you were too stupid to get saved? 
I'm on my way to hell and we're going to have a party when we get there. <laughs> You're ignorant. You are one ignorant fool. I mean, the Holy Ghost had to come on you and go, you're on your way to hell. You better get saved. And just scared the heebie-jeebies out of you so you'd receive Jesus. And that was a gift you did not deserve. The Holy Ghost is a gift you did not deserve. Wisdom is a gift you did not deserve. And the anointing is a gift you didn't deserve. It. Righteousness is a gift and you didn't deserve it either. So at what point are you now bragging on you? See, sometimes we might need a little humility so that God can take us up. Well, here's what I'm driving at. I want you to get to the place in life where you're willing to get on your knees and go, you are awesome, God. You are awesome, God. But right now, we got people sitting around wanting a revival, and revival does not begin in church. It begins inside of you. And it doesn't begin in you until there's humility. As long as you think you got it, God does not. And when you realize I don't got it, he has it. Now, when he gets you out of the mess you're in, you're going to give him glory because we know you're ignorant. <laughs> Someone bald Paul Youngie Cho. I love this story. He asked Jesus one time, uh, Lord Jesus, how come you use me so much? He said, Dr. Cho, because you're stupid. He said, excuse me? You call me stupid? He said, yes, I ask other people to do this, what I ask you, and they don't think they need me, but I know you are stupid, and you know you're stupid, and so I can use you because you are stupid. I thought, is that why you called me? And some people who know me go, amen. <laughs> I am a sign and a wonder. I can't believe he's still being used by God and he's still alive. I mean, I'm just amazed. I am too. <laughs> so is Lisa. She's like, I'm amazed he uses you at all, baby. In the first Corinthians 4, 7. Number four. For who makes you differ from another, and what do you have that you did not receive? What do you have right now that God didn't give you? Absolutely nothing. So I'm going to throw a monkey wrench into this and go ahead and just make a statement that there's a bunch of you that are actually going to hate my guts. If you can't make a living in six days, you're too stupid to make it in seven. Come to church. I mean, I, I look at people all the time and go, what in the world is wrong with you? Do you really think you're that smart? You're putting yourself over? Don't shout me down. I mean, whatever happened. I remember when we had Sunday night service. We had to quit because nobody showed up. Now we've got people who only come on Sunday morning. because I mean, at some point, you have become smarter than God. I have never been smarter than God. Are y'all out there? I know I just made some people mad, but you just go ahead and just go home and get mad because pride is why you're mad. Amen. Woo, I probably shouldn't have said that. Take that off the tape. 
in the day we're living in, you ought to be closer to God than you've ever been in your entire life. Because the economy of America isn't based on your brains. It don't take much for you to be completely broke. I've seen millionaires just go broke because they didn't give him glory. You better pull away sometimes and take the time to give God the glory, do his name, because he put you on the fence post. Now that's enough said. But you know, on any given Sunday, I'll look around, and there'll be, there'll be one Sunday with a hundred people gone. And I went, you're going to be up here next week wanting prayer. And I'm going to tell you what God's going to tell you. Forget it. Go heal yourself. Oh, okay, that's enough of that. Y'all can rest now. I mean, I think some, sometimes you need to hit your head examined, just a tad. He saved me. He delivered me. He healed me. He filled me. He blessed me. He lifted me. I'm going to tell you something. I'm not going to miss an opportunity to come in here and get on my face and give him glory. Because when I get in trouble, I need him. And I usually get myself in trouble at least a, once a month. To where I'm going, if you don't help me, I am not coming out of this mess. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And all the humble people said amen, and all the proud people said, oh me. One way or the other, amen? All right, go to Proverbs 6, 16. Is that too strong for y'all? It is, it's, well, the, that's because you're in church. But the, don't go telling all the people that aren't here, amen. Don't, don't, don't say nothing to them. I don't want them, I heard you were talking about me while I was going. Yes, I was. I have never understood it because he is everything. And I want to tell you this. There's been two or three times in my life he has asked me to walk away from everything I own and go obey him. And I have left jobs making an enormous amount of money to go to work for $5 an hour. And that's the reason why God uses me. Because money is not God. As a matter of fact, he can, he can make you rich if, if you just put him first. Yes. Amen. Okay, that's enough of that. I'm done. And you're going, amen, hallelujah. Proverbs 6. I think sometimes God, you know, it's, it's easy to grieve the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? Yes. Did you know you can grieve the Holy Ghost? I'm not going to get on it. I'm just going to make a statement. That's all I'm going to say. You can grieve him. He doesn't like everything you do. And be willing to listen when he tells you he doesn't like it. And if you say no, humble yourself under the mighty hand because he resists what? He resists the proud. He will not. He'll leave you alone until you get your act together. Okay. Enough of that. Proverbs 6.16. These six things the Lord hates and seven are an abomination to him. 17, a proud look. God hates pride. He hates it. Satan thinks he's, Satan doesn't think he needs to change. Did you know that? There's people who don't think they need to change. As a matter of fact, there are people who you can't correct them. They can't, you can't correct them. You might as well just be quiet because they're not going to listen to you anyway. Only by pride comes contention. Let's look at another one real quick. 
Proverbs 8.13. Just turn the page. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way. If you fear God, if you love God, you'll hate pride. Not only in you, but in everybody else around you. You'll hate it. That arrogant, I am the boss. I'm, I'm, I'm it. I'm the big dog. No, you're not the big dog. Don't ever say, I deserve. You don't. Amen. Now, again, I'm going to read some stuff to you in a minute, and I'm hoping that it'll get to you, get on you. Proverbs 16.5, real quick, and then we're going to go to a story. 16.5. Everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though they join forces, none will go unpunished. Read it, Washington, D.C. Okay, 1 Samuel 18, turn over. If you get quiet on me, I'm going 10 minutes longer. You get real quiet, I'm going 20. You get real quiet, I'm going to lock the doors. We're not leaving until the sun comes up in the morning. 1 Samuel 18, verse 5. This is the story of David and King Saul. And I have used this story to the best of my ability all of my life. Whenever I was feeling persecuted, like somebody is after me for whatever reason. Have you all ever had anybody just don't like you? Okay, a lot of them. Thank you. At least we know you're obeying God. 1 Samuel 18, 5. And David went out, and wherever Saul sent him, and behaved wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people, and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Now it happened as they were coming home, when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistines, that the women came out of the cities of Israel and sang and danced to meet King Saul, tambourines with joy and musical instruments. And the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry and said, the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands and to me ascribed only thousands. Now what can he have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that day forward and it happened on the next day that when a distressing spirit from God came upon Saul, that, and he prophesied in the house, and David played music with his hand, and with the other times, but there was a spear in Saul's hand, and Saul cast the spear, for he said, I'm going to pin David to the wall, but David escaped his presence twice. All right, let's talk about this story. Why is Saul mad at David? Because God's honoring David. Why is God honoring David? Because David is humble and Saul has disobeyed God. Now I want to make a statement here and don't ever forget it. Take personal responsibility with your walk with God and it's not other people's fault that God is honoring them and not you. That may be a little hard for you to hear. If someone got a promotion at work, you didn't get it, I want you to bake them a cake and honor them. Yeah, that's right. Promotion. 
does not come from your boss. Promotion comes from God. If God doesn't think you need promoting, you're not going to get promoted. I don't care who you are. There's no reason for you to be angry at people around you that appear to you to be doing better than they are. You don't know their circumstances. They're none of your concern. I had a, I had a preacher, a friend of mine, that one time something happened in his life and his church uh, dried up, died. And I was driving down the road and I said, Lord, what happened to him? And just as plain as day, he said to me, he is none of your concern. He kind of said it is none of your business. And I went, oh. In other words, you're sticking your nose where it doesn't belong. Whatever I do with him, if I want to do something with him, it's none of your business. You just do what I tell you and be quiet. Well, I got really corrected. And I'll tell you something, if you walk with God any at all, you're going to find out he corrects you. If you hang around godly Christians, you're going to get corrected too. And some of y'all go, I just don't believe, I just don't. Well, you come to this church, you're going to get corrected. I just David a while ago, I told you a correction. So, so we got a problem here with Saul and David. But Saul, God stopped using Saul because Saul disobeyed God. It had nothing to do with David. So I got some things here. Um, anytime you play the blame game, you're not ready to take responsibility for you and your life and your own problems. Stop blaming others for where you are. Don't get into it. That's going to stop most fighting. What about me? Well, if you'll obey God, he'll lift you. Humility releases grace, ability to live a holy life, which opens the door to fellowship, which releases joy. You can't have joy without humility. So if you want to go up, you're going to have to get on your face and go down. You're going to have to take the lower place. Okay. All right. Now, before I read another one of these, well, I got to. I got to do it the way I'm going to do it. Um, I didn't give you this one, um, JC, and I apologize. First Samuel 24, turn over there. While you're here, let's go ahead and go there. Are y'all all all right? When I first learned this, I went, it was very difficult for me to go to Keith Moore and to get a set of tapes on humility because they're not really a set of tapes on humility. They're a set of tapes on pride. Mm -hmm. And proud people don't listen to tapes on pride. And I decided that I was going to listen to them so that I wouldn't be proud. and, And I really didn't enjoy listening to them. Because he was constantly on me. I had to make a dozen corrections on the first tape. I'm going, oh, oh. (laughs) And then he says, do not give these to your spouse. That's pride. (laughs) 
Because, see, it's easy for you and I to see problems in others and you don't see it in you. But your number one person you need to work on is you. Now, let's go back to a scripture. Jesus said, I want you to leave the splinter in other people's eye until you get the log out of yours. But it seems like, and this goes on in marriages, everybody wants to correct their spouse, and, and you're the one, you need to work on you full time. Thank y'all. Wouldn't it be a wonderful household if you just worked on you? I'm working on someone right now who's got a lot of pride. Who? Me. And we'll get to you when I'm done, which will be a long time. Are y'all out there? Do you understand how this would help people a lot if you just obeyed the Bible? I mean, my God, what a novel idea that is. Okay, I didn't think that would be very good. Okay, 1 Samuel. I'm pretending like y'all are enjoying this, so let's go. Um, 1 Samuel 24, 1, and it happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, take note, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. And I wished I had had enough sin. I took a pictures of these caves and I wished that I had given them to Justin and had to put them on the thing because when we were there, I, I, got, I preached right outside this cave. It was so much fun. And Saul took 3,000 chosen men, 3,000 men to go find David and 400 men. Just imagine that. And all of Israel went, it just reminds me of Washington and putting up a big fence to protect themselves. Oh, help me, Jesus. Never mind. <laughs> Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all of Israel and went to see David and the men on the rocks of the wild goats. And he came to the sheepfolds by the road where there was a cave and Saul went in to attend to his needs and David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. Then the men of David said to him, this is the day which the Lord said to you, behold, I'm going to deliver your enemy into your hand that you may do to him as it seems good to you. And David arose secretly and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And it happened afterwards that David's heart troubled him because he cut off Saul's robe. Now, now you're reading this and thinking, well, Saul's trying to kill him. And he said to the men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. Now, this is powerful because I want you to think about this. Whatever you do to the least of these mine, you did it to me. You and I need to watch what we do to people even when they're wrong. Now, I'm preaching to myself here. You've got to sometimes look at people and go, well, that's a brother in the Lord and God loves him and I'm going to leave it alone and leave it to God. It's none of my business. Amen. Are you all out there? Did you go home? And David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. And David arose afterwards and went out of the cave and called out to Saul, my Lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed down. The man trying to kill him. This is humility, folks. Go low. Get yourself off your high horse. It's good preaching. And David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of these men who say David seeks your harm? 
Look this day, as your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you today into my hand in the cave, and someone urged me to kill you. But my eyes spared you, and I said, I will not stretch out my hand against the Lord. He is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand, for in that I cut off the corner of your robe, and I didn't kill you. And know and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand. And I have not sinned against you, and yet you hunt my life to take it. The Lord will vindicate you. And let the Lord judge between you and me, and let the Lord avenge me or you. My hand shall not be against you. Isn't that novel? Remember when we started, when I made the statement about Charlie. When someone does you wrong and they slap you on the cheek, let them have the other. That's not a doormat. That's you going, I'm leaving you to God. And I'm leaving me to God, and I'm not going to touch this. See, that's called you being the big boy. Sometimes you got to put on the big boy and the big girl pants. If I'm wrong, let God judge me. And if you're wrong, I'm giving you to God, but I won't do it. This is good preaching, folks. I'm I'm telling you all something. This stops a lot of conflict where you think you've got to prove a point. You have no point to prove. This is good. Say amen on me, whatever you want to do. That's all right. As the proverb of the ancient says, wickedness proceeds from the wicked, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Who do you pursue? A dead dog? A flea? Who, who am I that I'm harming you? Therefore, let the Lord be the judge. Judge between me and you and see and plead my case and deliver me out of your hand. He's waiting on God to do it. So it was when David had finished speaking these words, Saul, that Saul said, Is that your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted his voice and wept. And he said to David, You are more righteous than I am. You have rewarded me with good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. Good scripture. Do good to those who harm. If someone comes after you, bless them. They steal your shirt. Chase them down and give them your coat. You be the big boy. You you put, see, this means you have, this means you're humble. Humble yourself, God will lift you. Did God lift David? Yes, made him king. I think this was a test. I think God puts you in situations to see what you're going to do so you can pass some tests, so he can promote you. And when you do not pass the test, promotion does not come. You get in a situation, and all you want to do is run around talking about you, you, you. They done me wrong. They done me wrong. They done me wrong. Thank y'all. Come on, y'all. Come on. This works at work. This works everywhere, guys. If God can't lift you, you can't get lifted. And you have sworn this day how you have dealt well with me, and when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you didn't kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him get away safely? Therefore, may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done. 
And now I know, indeed, that you shall surely be king and the kingdom of Israel be established in your hand. One of the things that I have had to deal with, and I say this and I, and I, I almost hate to say it, when I get around preachers, they ask the question, how many people are you running? You know what they want to know? Am I doing better than you or worse? <laughs> what a dumb question that is. Because that doesn't make you bigger or smaller. Don't get your worth from me. You find out whether, what, just make sure you're doing what God told you to do. And don't worry about what everybody else is doing on planet. I've never been bothered by the fact that I don't have the biggest church in Central Florida. I'm just glad I'm still not dead. <laughs> I've only been legally dead three times. So other than that, I'm doing pretty good. I I'm amazed that he uses me at all, much less the church. I, I don't have a bone to pick with anybody. I had a man call me not too long ago during COVID. He said, you need some money? I went, no. And he meant it as a, a jab. Little dude. And I'm like, no. We kind of grew and doubled and our income is better than it's ever been. And I didn't tell him that because don't cast your pearls before swine. Just leave them alone. I just went, no, I'm doing good. And when I got off the phone, I had to go, I better leave that one alone. Because I don't know why, why do you think that if you blow my candle out, yours got brighter? I'm talking about people. I'm talking about people. Okay, that's enough of that. Y'all are getting it, aren't you? Here's another scripture the Lord gave me right after I got John 13. Go there. This, this was, I got to tell you the whole story here, and I, I wasn't going to, but I think I better. How am I doing for time? Oh, pretty good. Right, right when, I, when I lived in Tulsa and the Lord knew I was moving to Orlando, he gave me this scripture as a life scripture for me. And I didn't like preaching on it for a while because I wasn't quite sure how I was doing but I'm going to read it to you, and, and then I'm going to tell you what he said to me. <laughs> I'm going to pick on me a little bit. No way I don't pick on y'all. 13.1, now before the feast of Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he would depart from the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end, and the supper being ended, the devil already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon said to betray him. And Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and had, gone and had come from God and was going to God, he rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. Now, look at, I want you to think about this for a minute. This is God who, think about this. Here's a God who not only left heaven and came here, and now he has taken the position of the lowest slave in the house. You don't get any lower than the man that washes dirt off people's feet when they walk in the front door. That is, they, they buy slaves to do that job. The head of the household doesn't do it. And when Jesus did this, he set a precedent for you. You will never be above Jesus Christ. You can love 
without, you can, you can serve without loving. And you cannot love God without serving. You cannot love people without serving. You cannot love your wife without being a servant. Amen. You can't. Don't go quiet on me. Kenneth Hagin made a statement one time, and I never forgot it. He said, the secret to me and Aretha is that we're always trying to outdo our serving and giving to each other. I'm living to take care of her, not me. That's very noble. That's when a man and a wife both do it, it's called heaven. Are y'all out there? Now, I'm going to say something to y'all, and I'm, I'm just, when I married, well, I heard him say that when I married Lisa. I made up my mind to make sure she was taken care of. And, I, and I've, I've been that way since the day I married her. When, when she wants to, you know, when, when we go out to eat, I, I, in honor, the Bible says in honor, prefer. Where do you want to go? Sometimes I go, I don't want to go there. Not much, but sometimes. But most of the time, I let her pick what she wants to eat. When we go on vacation, most of the time, she said to me the other day, she says, you know, I want for my birthday, I want to go to Snowshoe. I said, well, let's get an airplane ticket and let's go. I know that, listen, listen to me. I know that when, when you marry someone and when you're dating a girl, and I, boy, I want to get boys and teach them how to be men. Take her out, wine her, dine her, buy her flowers, get her cards, and treat her like a queen. Not just the week you're dating, but from that day forward. Are you all out there? See, people are trying to work on their marriage. You know how, you know how people work on their marriage? They're working on their spouse. Just work on you. Just work on you. If the other one doesn't come around, well, then be humble. Let God make, take care of it. Oh, you mean I don't have to slap them? No, you better not. Well, what if they take advantage of me? Can't. Are y'all out there? Woo. When, when Lisa was dating uh, her tall, dark, and handsome boyfriend, I wasn't tall, dark, or handsome. I was, I was kind of old and, a, you know, and I told somebody one time, they said, why did Lisa marry you? I said, well, she wanted to use Rolls Royce and not a new Volkswagen. <laughs> anyway, that's, that's another story. But I watched her. They went out one day, and I was, and we were at a crusade, and she dropped him off, and she parked the car. And I went, I'm taking her from you. You don't have a brain in your head, son. And so I called her up and took her out on a date. And I had to, I had to train her. I did. I went to it. I went and we went out to dinner and I pulled the chair out and she sat in that one. And I'm standing there going, what are you doing? She goes sitting down. I went, 
She goes, oh. When we went out, I opened the door, let her in, closed the door, walked around. Still do it. Don't shout me down. Men, I'm trying, ladies, I'm going to help you all out. Just wait till Mother's Day. We're going to get into this morning. When you know, when you love someone, look at your checkbook and ask whether you're spending most of your money on you or your spouse. Okay. Or is everything me? Me, me, me. I didn't say I didn't spend money on me. I spend money on me. I spend more on Lisa than I do me. I spend more on our house. And your wife comes to you and you say, y'all have a honey-do list. I have add 400 square feet to the house. And when you get through, build a swimming pool. When you get through with that, pave the driveway. And when you get through with that, and my honey-do list looks like a construction <laughs> job site map, you know. But I'm going to tell you something. I enjoy it. Lisa has a jet ski. I don't ski anymore, but when she wants to go skiing, we get up and I pull her around the lake and then I park the jet ski and bring her home. Let me tell you something. You, you have to take care of people. And they, they have to know you are thinking about. I'm going to tell you something, Lisa does better than me, and I've had to learn. I've had to make adjustments. I was never very good at calling the kids on the phone. Lisa calls them, texts them, stays in touch. And one day I went, you know what, I should, I should take note of what she's doing. So now I'll call Ashley. How are you doing? Call Che. How are you doing? Sometimes I call them and say, hey, Monday night, movie night, come on over. You know... You have your time, but why don't you give it away? It's, okay, y'all are come on, come on, guys. You, you, people are more important than things. People are more. What are you doing with your time? What are you doing with your time with God? What are you doing with your time? Is he important? Does he know it? Or are you always have an excuse, which is a lie stuffed with a skin of truth stuffed with a lie. All right. So let me finish reading this because I want you to see this. Are y'all all right? Yes. I'm, I know the women excited about that. For at least five minutes, they're like, and keep on going down this road. Your spouse needs to know that you think about them. Lisa and I went to a funeral one time, and his man's wife died. And he got up and told the story about how on an anniversary he went to the rack and got her an anniversary card and brought it to her while she was shopping and gave it to her to read. And he said, do you like that card? And she goes, oh, baby, yes. He said, good, and then he put it up. I'm going to tell you what was going on in me when I heard that. I thought, first of all, I would have never done that to my wife. And I would have never had the backbone to tell everybody what an idiot you are. <laughs> if your wife's not valuable enough to buy a card, you old tightwad, what do you think she thinks? What, what, what do you think? Don't say, I love you. 
and just, there's no place in the Bible that God said, I love you. How do we know he loved us? For God so loved the world, he did what? He gave. You can give without loving, but you cannot love a person without giving. I'm going to come back over here. Listen to me. Don't tell me you love someone and you don't don't do for them. Don't you tell me that. It's not true. They know. You men, don't wait until their birthday to buy them flowers. Just buy them flowers for whatever day. Take them home and say, what is this for? Well, I thought you might like them. What does that say, ladies? Boy, I sure love you. Next time you're in the store, you're in the mall, stop and pick up a pair of earrings. Come home with them. She goes, what's this? I was just thinking about you. Yeah. You're going to have a good night. I was talking about dinner. What's wrong with y'all? Am I doing all right, guys? Listen, you men, you men need to listen to me. You just, you need to listen. Not just when you're dating. I'm talking about you date to the day you die, you date. You say, well, you know, she ain't all that anymore. Well, you ain't either. It looks like to me, both of y'all going south a little bit in places. I mean... When, you, when she bore your babies, you take care of her. And all the women are going, can you preach this when my husband's here? <laughs> yeah, I will. Don't worry about it. Let me finish this. Let me, I got seven minutes left. Um, verse 5 says, after that, he poured water in a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel, which was girded. And he came to Simon Peter and said, Lord, Are you washing my feet? And he says, what I'm doing now, you don't understand, but you'll know after this. And Peter said, you're not going to wash my feet. And he says, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said, well, then wash my feet and my hands and my head. He said, he who's bathed doesn't need to have, needs only to have his foot washed, but completely clean. You're clean, but yet not all of you. And he knew he was talking about Judas Iscariot. And when he had washed their feet, he took his garments and he sat down and he said, do you know what I just did? You have called me teacher and Lord, and you are right. If I am your Lord and your teacher, and I have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. I gave you an example to do. Good preaching, Pastor Dale. I really appreciate that. Stingy people are always unhappy. You're not happy because you have money and spend it on yourself. That does not make you happy. You're happy because you love. 1 Corinthians 4, 7, and I think I'm about done. When up is really down. You want to go up? Go down. Say, I think I'm going to be doing some going down pretty soon. 
1 Corinthians 4, 7. Yeah, I read this earlier already. What makes you differ from another, and what do you have that you didn't receive? Now, if you did not indeed receive it, why do you boast as though you did receive it? Everything you have in life, and I wrote this down, was a gift from God. Salvation, Holy Ghost, faith. Everything you have, even, even the faith of God um, that he gave you was a gift. If everything you have was because God loved you and you didn't deserve it, should we not be like that? Yes, we should. That's the point. Yes, we should. You are in a church with imperfect people. Whoopie do. That means there's a lot of people here who need you. Does that make sense? You're not, you're not, don't get high-minded and think you're all that. That's pride. You are not too good for this church. And you're not too good for the person you're married to. Unless they're trying to kill you. (laughs) Then you need to leave. (laughs) I've had women come and their husbands physically harmed them. And I said, well, pack it up. You don't need to go through that. Is this good? This This takes a lot of stress off you. It takes a lot of stress off me to understand that I'm not, I have nothing, I don't have to prove anything I don't even have to fight with people. I'm just going to love people, obey God. Someone doesn't do right, I'm going to bless them anyway. Kenneth, um, uh, um, Gerald Brooks says, what you bless can't hurt you. What you bless can't hurt you. When someone does you wrong, bless them. That, that means that you've stopped the harm. They can't harm you. Did y'all enjoy this? Yeah. Again, if you want the whole sermon, go to Keith Moore. It's about five hours on humility. There's a lot more in it than I gave you tonight. But I, I took some of this and I began making adjustments in my own life because I've always had a tendency to think that I had to make my way. And you don't. You don't have to make your way. Let God do it. If he's not able to lift you up, you're not going up anyway. You don't need to be up there. So just take the low road and let God be God. Then when it happens, you know God put you there, and you know there's nothing you need to fight about. You just do your job. Now, in the world we're living in right now, people are getting meaner and meaner. Please don't get mean with them. Things aren't going good at home. Don't get mean. Amen. Amen. Oh, can I tell you one more story? Yep. Now, the ladies, I helped you all ago. Now we'll pick on you a little bit. Down, and there's a book in my library called um, Indonesian Revival. There was a woman came to the pastor and said, my husband's a heathen, and he's not saved. And I want you to pray that he'll get saved. And he said, do you cook dinner for him? She goes, no, he's a sinner. And he said, do you make love to him? She goes, no, he's a heathen. He said, well, you told him you're a Christian. 
It's quiet in here, isn't it? You go home and you make him good dinner. And you treat him like he's saved. And you treat him good. And he'll come to Jesus. And boy, she didn't like it. Because he's a heathen. That's self-righteous. You were a heathen. And Jesus found you, weren't you? So she went home, started making nice dinners for him. Put candles on the table. You're a good husband. Get up and go to work every day. About a month later, he walks in church. What you do to my wife? (laughs) And he got saved. Now, I preached that one Sunday morning. had a lady right here scream, no. (laughs) I understand. Some people, pretty rough. Can you do it? That's very loud. (laughs) Can you do this? Yes. Yes. I had had, um, Jack Hayford one time said to me, and I went to him in California and I said, the people in my church are very difficult. He said, treat them as they can become. I went, whoa. And I came back and I began to imagine that all of y'all were awesome. (laughs) Many of you changed. You know why? Because people rise to your expectations. I know that sounds tough to treat someone not doing so good as though God could change them and they could be better. Cindy Duval. I'm going to tell you one more story. It's embarrassing for me to be around guest ministers and make an ass out of myself. I said ass. I should have said Democrat. Have y'all ever done something absolutely stupid in front of somebody? And I embarrassed myself more than once. Did you know that her love for me and Lisa never faltered? Did you know that the way she treated me when I acted like an idiot changed me? But never the correction never changed me. Pastor, you're a donkey. You are too. Shut up. (laughs) That never changed me. Someone treating me valuable when it was obvious that I'm a jerk humbled me so much that I went home and changed. Are y'all getting this? It is a powerful thing to treat people like they can become. Okay. Say, I think I'm getting it. I'm out of time. Y'all better get it. Say, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he'll lift me up. The way up is down.
Say, I got it. it. All right, well, then I can be quiet now because I'm going to keep going if y'all didn't. Y'all get out of here and have a good night. Let me just pray. Father God, thank you for tonight. I, I thank you for the opportunity to preach the word. A lot of good people in this church, a lot of people. We, go th- we all go through this stuff. We've gone through it. And we're, I think we're going to go through some more here in America. But I pray that the people that are in this room right now, and one listening, would become solid. And we would be the big boys and the big girls and wear the big boy pants. We would be the ones that would not allow other people's opinions to change us. But yet we would be the change agents. And we would not take matters in our own hand. And any time that we feel like we're being mistreated, we just get back on our face because we know that without you, we can do nothing anyway. And Father God, we give you thanks because you're a good God. You saved us, you delivered us, you healed us. We didn't deserve it. And you're the one that keeps us anyway. We are a turtle on a fence post. And we'll never forget it. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Hallelujah. Go home tonight and say, it was pretty good. We hope you enjoyed this message by Word of Life Church. We just wanted to let you know there's a lot more content on our website at wolapopka.com. From our YouTube channel, to our podcast, to our SoundCloud, and many more events. We also wanted to let you know that we love giving you these messages. And it helps us too that if you would love to give to the what we're doing, it helps keep all these messages free. You can just simply go to our website and click the big give now button or you can text 407-955-5345 and remember our pastor's vision is this we grow christians so we thank you for listening and we'll see you next time